Mighty indeed is the power of the cross. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, you did indeed pay the price. It's been paid in full. And Lord, in light of that, help us to walk in the center of your will. Not to be satisfied with calling you Savior, but Lord, desiring to call you Lord of every aspect of our lives. And Lord, we confess that even to make you Lord, we can't do that without your help, without the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we ask as we go to your word, and Lord, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, transform us, conform us more into the image of your Son. Lord, that your name might be lifted up, that others might want to know the God that we serve. Lord, because they see you radiating through us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel again. It's great to have you here. Uh, To reiterate a couple of things that Pastor Bill said. I would encourage you, if you have teenagers or no teenagers, uh, when I was a youth pastor for 15 years, the greatest thing in the world was high school camp, junior high camp, life changing. So pray about that. I know for some it's a sacrifice financially, but I'll tell you, it's worth it. You know, I I tell you, the two things I love to invest in, it's all God's money anyway, is first the kingdom and then my kids. And if it's for my kids in the kingdom, I really get excited about that. So... Let me encourage you, be praying about that. And then also the trip to Israel as well. It's the ultimate retreat, it really is. It's, you can't put it into words. We may uh, again in the near future show a, a quick uh, virtual tour of Israel to give some people an idea what happens when we're there. Well, that being said, turn to 1 Samuel 15, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Read ahead for Sunday, be in, we'll be in Titus chapter 2, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the entire chapter. Note I say, Lord willing, but that's my heart anyway. So we'll see what God does, but that's, be, read the whole chapter. And just by way of note too, be praying for uh, Monta Vista Christian School. We pray for all the high schools. I, I had a blessing to go out to Monta Vista today to speak to 800 or so high school kids, do chapel and really challenge them in their faith. And you know, it's sometimes even at a Christian school, especially at a Christian school often, they need to be exhorted to make a stand for the Lord. And so be praying for our high school students and in all the campuses on this county. All right, now let's catch you guys up real quickly. I want to say first before we start, let me remind you that we have throughout the Old Testament, we have New Testament principles that are revealed in Old Testament pictures. And I love how the Word of God so neatly fits together. And in tonight's text, we're going to talk about something that everybody in this room struggles with. And the struggle is dying daily to our flesh. Every single day, there's this battle between our spirit and the flesh. The old youth pastor in me, the analogy I used to use, it's like you got the spiritual tiger and the fleshly tiger battling for control every single day. Which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. And if you're feeding your flesh and feeding your flesh and never feeding yourself spiritually, never spending time in God's presence, your prayer life is dry, you don't spend time in the Word, you're not in fellowship, you know what? The flesh is going to have victory. And so tonight we're going to look at an Old Testament picture of that New Testament principle that we do indeed need to die to our flesh. Let me read you three verses that speak of that. In Matthew 16, 24 it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny self. Is that hard or what? Every single day, self wants to be in charge. Self wants to be promoted. Self wants to be fed and cared for and be primary. But Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let them deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. It says in Romans 8, 13 and 14, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How do we know someone's a child of God? They're led by the Spirit of God. And it should be evident. And you know, it's a cop-out for us to say, well, I'm redeemed so I can just keep living a sinful life. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. God's called us to be holy. Doesn't mean that we'll be sinless, doesn't mean that we'll be perfect, but I'll tell you what, we ought to be grieved every single time we sin. Not make excuses for it, 
not, you know, give way for it. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, you know, hey, God's redeemed me. Oh, I'm forgiven. I think one of Satan's biggest lies to Christians is to whisper in our ears and say, he's already forgiven you. Go ahead and do it anyway. Anybody else ever heard that besides me? Am I the only one? That's Satan's biggest lie. Hey, you've been forgiven? Go ahead. You're going to go to heaven anyway, right? Go ahead. You may go to heaven, but I'll tell you what. You're going to have a saved soul and a wasted life. In Galatians 5.17, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. We're in a constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. And we're going to see a picture of that as we look at not only King Saul tonight and his battle against the Amalekites, but as we specifically look at the tribe of the Amalekites, we're going to see a picture of the flesh. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Esau is the twin brother of Jacob. Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. And so the descendants of Esau were perpetually the enemies of his twin brother's descendants, Jacob or Israel, the tribes of Israel. And Esau was the son of the flesh. And the way we know that, remember, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, right? He was willing to walk away and to give his brother everything because he was so fleshly driven, he'd rather have a bowl of soup than a godly birthright from his father. It's amazing to see. And so we see that that has continued on generations as they go by. And so tonight as we look at the text... I want to pay attention not only to King Saul, but we'll take a look at the Amalekites. They're going into battle against them. The Amalekites being a picture of the flesh. And so if you're a note taker, I don't really have as deep an outline as I usually do. Here's the outline. The title of the message is Putting the Flesh to Death, A Call to Obedience. You know, the highest form of worship is we're going to see to obey is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship is obedience. It's one thing to hold your hands up and say, I love you, Lord, and then go out and live like the world. The truest form of worship is obeying God because we trust Him. Saying, Lord, I trust you. I give you my life. I'm not going to feed you lip service. Lord, I'm going to live my life set apart unto you. And Lord, when I can't do it, which is almost always, I need your help. So Lord, help me to walk in the center of your will. So putting the flesh to death, a call to obedience. And as we go through the text, we're going to see three things, three pictures, three things that as we look at the battle with the Amalekites, our areas are three ways that we can have victory over the flesh. Now remember, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. And this isn't a magic formula or anything, but we're going to see how victory is won over the Amalekites, a typology of the flesh, and that they are Old Testament pictures of a New Testament principle that you and I can put into effect by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we can walk in victory over our flesh. We absolutely can. So let's begin in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 1. And as we go through here, I'll give you a review as well of the previous chapters. But it says in verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now by way of review, remember that it was indeed Samuel who came way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8. When initially they were crying out for a king. 1 Samuel 8, 7 says, Heed the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. They were crying out for a king because their king was God, but they wanted a physical king they could touch and see and follow. And so they were rejecting Almighty God, choosing a man instead. And, he, and Almighty God turns to Saul and says to him, Go and give them what they want. You've heard me say it before, sometimes the worst thing that you can ever receive is the thing you've been asking for. Sometimes the worst thing God can do and it, to us or for us in a sense that will take us away from Him is allow us to have what we want. Okay, fine. Permissive will. God will never force His perfect will on you. He'll make it available. He'll reach out to you over and over. But if you cry out long enough, He'll give you what you want and the consequences that come with it. So Samuel goes on, he warns Israel how the king was going to do evil in the sight of God, place them into bondage, tax them, take their sons and daughters to serve him. You're going to cry out for his removal. They cried out all the more, give us a king anyway. And again, there were several reasons that Israel gave for wanting a king, and the main one being that they wanted to be just like the nations around them. I was sharing with the youth at 
Monta Vista today that, you know, any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? You know what? It's real easy just to go the way of the world and just to be like the world and just to follow the world's example. And you know, we're bombarded with it all day, every day. But the truth is that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. He's not looking for a method or even a message, but a man or a woman who will stand up and say, Lord, use me. And that's a prayer he'll answer every single time. But sadly, what happens is, instead of wanting to follow God, we want to follow the way of the world, and that's what Israel did. You get to chapter 9, and they choose Saul to be king, and we know from outward appearance, this is the guy. These are descriptions of him over the next two chapters in 9 and 10. Strong body, humble mind, new heart, spiritual power, prayers and guidance of Samuel the prophet, and you know what? From an outward appearance, he looked like the ultimate picture of a king. But the reason that he did was that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Even though he had it seemingly all going on, he fails miserably. Chapter 11, Israel defeats the Ammonites. They start to think, hey, we were right. God was wrong. God warned us we take a king, it's going to be bad. We got a king and he went out and won the first battle. And when he was done, he even made a monument unto the Lord. You get to chapter 12 and he really looks like, again, God's grace is so incredible to me. God in his permissive will, not his highest, instructs Israel, okay, you've chosen the wrong king, you're going in the wrong direction, you're following the wrong guy, but if from this point forward you will honor me and your king will honor me, I will bless you even though you acted out of disobedience. That's grace, isn't it? And that should be an encouragement to every one of us that even if we start heading in the wrong direction, you can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. You can be outside of his will and you can get right with him right now. He is such a faithful God. So even though he reaches out to them, if you fear and obey his voice, I'll bless you. It says in 1 Sam, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you. Guys, hand of the Lord for you or against you. That should be an easy decision. Amen? I want the hand of the Lord for me. How is he for me? I obey. Obedience. Highest form of worship. So you get to chapter 13 and 14 and 15, which we just looked at in the last few weeks. And as our 13 or 14, 15 tonight, as you look at these chapters, we see this warning has come out. Follow me. God will bless. Well, chapter 13, what happens? Immediately, he gets impatient. Saul, the outward king, starts looking at things from an outward perspective. The enemy starts mounting up against them. He gets overwhelmed. His, his guys are running away. And the, the army of the Philistines is getting bigger. So what does he do? Instead of waiting... For Samuel, God's prophet, as he had been commanded, he steps out and makes the sacrifice himself, taking the place of the high priest. Now we all might say that is really stupid, and yes it is. But you know what? Every single one of us has done it. Now how do we do it? God says, you wait upon me, you wait till I lead, you keep me on the throne, you let me direct your life, we get impatient, and we try to force God's hand, and we step out in our flesh, and we do things our own way, because our circumstances are overwhelming, and God, you just don't understand how bad things are, and I really need to move right now, or it's going to be too late. You know what, God's always right on time, amen? It's our impatience. Not his, he's not lack, we are. We're slack. We're the ones that move, oh, Lord, you got to hurry. Lord, but I really want to be married right now, quickly. And so I'm going to grab the next person who walks in the door. I'm done, right? Don't do that. The Bible says it's better to live on a housetop than in a house with a contentious woman. Don't do it, okay? Far worse things than being single, being married to the wrong person. Amen? I'm just trying to cut down on my counseling load, that's all. Now, impatience in chapter 13, then pride in chapter 14. Remember the foolish vow. He commands, hey, you, you know what? Guys, Jonathan goes out, steps out in faith, wins the battle with his armor bearer, whether by many or by few, God can bring victory. Let's go get him. He take, goes up there with his armor bearer, crawling on his hands and knees, and starts wiping out the Philistines. God brings thunder, you know, lightning and earthquake. It all starts to shake, and they start killing each other. And then Saul, who's sitting under a pomegranate tree hiding, the only two guys with a sword, he's hiding. 
He's afraid, and once he sees the battle being won, he doesn't want Jonathan to get the credit, so he jumps in. And then he makes them know that he's in charge by saying, anybody who eats anything, they're going to die. I want you to kill them all, and you can't eat anything. You have to follow after me. The foolish religious vows of men, instead of following in obedience to Almighty God. And we saw there that it was honey that he touched. And in the Word of God, honey is a picture of the Word of God often. Sweeter than the honey in a honeycomb, it says in the book of Psalms. And you know what? When someone forbids the word of God to be taught, the army's going to fall apart. And the same thing was happening here. And that's what happened in chapter 14. So here's Saul told, if you obey, God will bless. If you don't, God's going to bring... Oh, well, guess what? He didn't. And now we get to chapter 15. And he's reminding him, yes, I'm the one who anointed you. Yes, God spoke through me to you. And now you need to listen again because God's not done talking, Saul. And you need to pay attention. And so he's going to speak to Saul. And the words he's going to speak, there's a reason why there's such emphasis. So the Lord sent me to anoint you king over over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Guys, if Almighty God showed up at your house, first of all, you'd drop dead because you couldn't be in His presence, but let's just for the sake of the illustration say that He could, all right? If He showed up and told you something, I pray that we would not start negotiating with God. Well, what do you, well wait a minute, how about, uh, well, what, what, God, what about this way? You know, if God tells us, that should be, yes, Lord. That's the only response, amen? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know what, though? The word of God that you hold in your hands is God's word delivered to us, and yet we debate with it. We need to stop debating with the Bible and start obeying God's word. Instead of looking for loopholes to live my life the way I want to, why don't we just conform to his image? As I said to the the kids today, he's not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. And that's who he is. And start looking, we need to look at his word that way. So now he tells them, right? Here's the force behind his words. The Lord sent me to speak to you, Saul. Pay attention. This is the word from Almighty God coming directly to you. Now, what does he say? Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, the Amalekites, again, a typology of the flesh. The descendants of Esau, like I said, they were warlike plunderers. And Saul was chosen to fulfill a prophecy that had been given 300 years earlier, all the way back in in Exodus 17. Now, here's what happened. In Exodus 17, the Amalekites, we'll see in Deuteronomy, have been coming alongside and picking off the, the, the weak and the invalid. We'll talk about that in a moment in Deuteronomy. But in Exodus, when they came to fight the Amalekites, the Lord told Moses, you stand up on top of that hill, and as long as you hold up the staff in your hands, and you keep your hands up, you will have victory over the Amalekites. But when you let your hands drop, the Amalekites are going to run over the top of you. So the first time we see the Amalekites mentioned is in Exodus 17. And so what do we see? How do we defeat the flesh? By raising up our hands. This is a picture of worship. It's a picture of prayer. And it's a picture of complete and total surrender to Almighty God. You want to have victory over the flesh? Surrender to Him. You want to have victory over the flesh? Spend time in intimate prayer with Almighty God. You want to have victory over the flesh? You be a worshiper of the Creator of the universe. And so even though it's just one thing, it's prayer, it's worship, it's surrender. That's the first thing that we see in a way to have victory over the flesh. Now the second thing we see in Exodus 17 in that same story, and I encourage you to read it later, it's in Exodus 17 verses 8 through 14. I tend not to like people to turn away because I want to keep you here. But here's what happens. We, if you know the story, he's holding up the staff for hours. What happens? His arms grow weary, and as they fall... The Amalekites start to overrun the Israelites. Now again, when we're no longer surrendered, when we're no longer in prayer, when we're no longer in worship, our flesh is going to run right over the top of us. Now, what happened then, Aaron and Hur, his two lieutenants, if you will, his brother and his lieutenant, they came alongside him, 
And it says they sat on a rock and they held up his hands all day long until the victory had been won. And this is because every one of us, we Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. And along with a surrendered life and a life of prayer and a life of worship, we also need a life of fellowship. We need errands and herds who can come alongside us and hold up our hands in times when our flesh is weak. When we are weak in the flesh, when we are falling after the things of the flesh, when we're going weary and well-doing, we need those who love us enough to come alongside us and hold up our hands all day long. The Bible says a three-cord strand is not easily broken. And so we need to be surrendered to God. We need to be in a place of prayer and worship, and we need godly fellowship. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. Now the second mention of the Amalekites, let me just read this to you. You can look at it later. It's in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. It says this, Remember that Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how they met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance. He will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Here's what was happening. They're coming out of Egypt and the weak and the, the invalid and the aged were in the back. They couldn't keep up. And the Amalekites were hiding on the sides and ambushing the weak and the weary and the aged and the sick. And they would kill them and plunder them. And the Lord says, I am never, Amalek, I'm never going to forget that. And I'm going to bring judgment upon you because of your wickedness. You know what, guys? We need to understand he's a God of love and grace and mercy. But he's also a God of righteous judgment. He can't be righteous if there is no judgment upon sin. And so God says, I am going to. Now, here's the incredible part. He shows 300 years of grace to Amalek. I'm going to continue to read through this chapter, and you're going to say, man, this just doesn't seem fair. He wipes out the women and the children. But wait a minute. What, what kind of God do we serve? A God who waited 300 years and gave them 300 years of an opportunity to get right with him before he brought judgment. That's the God. That we serve. A God of love and grace and mercy who desires that none should perish, no, not one. But God knows the heart of man, and in God's timing, He will bring about His will. So we are most susceptible to the flesh. Those couple things we can learn from that Deuteronomy passage when we're weary. And we're also susceptible when we're following behind God's people. When we've separated ourselves from fellowship. We've separated ourselves from walking in the center of God's will. When we're lagging behind, we leave ourselves wide open to the flesh. You know, it's amazing how our attitudes and behavior changes when we're surrounded by other believers. Is that true or not? You know, if you've ever struggled with drink, you would not, you're not going to come and ask the four of the pastors to go out and get lit with you. You're probably not going to do that, Right? Hey, pastors, guys, what, hey, I'm just going to go down to the catalyst. Why don't you come on down there with me? Let's get, let's get lit. You're not going to do that. Why? Because you know you'll get rebuked, hopefully, right? And the point is that, you know what, when we get alone, that's when we're most susceptible to sin, isn't it? And we need to make sure that we don't straggle off and fall behind. Let's, you know what, I want to walk in the center of His will. Not 100 feet behind Him or 100 feet in front of Him, but right in the center of it. And so He's telling them, Okay, the Amalekites. Now we have some background on these guys. And he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up out of Egypt. Verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and and donkey. Now, when you read that, these are the kind of verses that say, what kind of God is that in the Old Testament? I like the New Testament God better. It's the same God. Amen? Amen. Well, I like the New Testament God. I don't like that Old Testament, man. He'd be God killing people. Hey, guys, you know what? God does not 
unjustly judge people. He gives them every opportunity. Nobody's going to stand before God on Judgment Day and go, you know, you didn't really, you didn't really give me a chance. You know what's going to happen? Here was your 10,000 chances. Here's how many times you ran over the cross of Christ. Here's every time I brought a divine appointment into your path to share the truth with you, and you walked away and rejected it. Nobody will go to hell without running over the cross of Christ to get there. And so we need not judge God in His behavior. That's a dangerous thing to do, by the way. When we start judging God with our finite minds, we've missed it. He's way greater. He's way more holy. He's way more righteous. He's way more faithful. He's way more merciful than we could ever imagine. So when this happens, believe me, they had it coming. Amen? They probably had it, they had it coming for 300 years. But he gave them 300 years of opportunities to get right with him. Now, he says of Amalek, destroy them completely. Here's a picture of the flesh again. What are we to do with our flesh? Put it to death completely not oh i'm just gonna keep this little part i'll serve god 90 percent. you know we don't you know they say christians don't you know tell lies they just sing them we had one tonight i surrender some that might be more accurate but the truth is we're to surrender all be holy for i am holy give your life completely to me kill wipe out the amalekites completely we're going to see at the end of this story why this is significant Because we're going to see that Saul, yet again, doesn't do what God calls him to do. And we're going to see it doesn't work out too well. God's judgment will come sooner or later. The Amalekites no doubt thought, oh, 300 years ago he said that. We don't have to worry about that. I'm going to bring judgment. Do not forget, I'm coming. Oh, yeah, right, sure you are. Oh, yeah, the Lord's coming back, right? Right? People mock that, don't they? But when he does come, he will come. And when he does come. It'll be too late to get right. And the point I'm making is that God's judgment is right on time. It's always fair. And we should not equate God's grace with God's permission. Because God waited upon the Amalekites and didn't judge them right away. We should not equate that, that they were off the hook. It was okay to live that kind of life. It was okay to walk in the flesh. It's okay for me to live in sin because God hasn't busted me yet. Get right before you get busted. Amen? Get right with the Lord before you have to deal with the consequences of sin. Verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and Talem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. So to overcome the Amalekites, Saul used the best of his resources. And guys, for us to overcome the flesh... We must tap into God's unending resources. We must tap into the power of the Holy, only when the Holy Spirit. You know, here's what it comes down to. Jesus said, you've heard me say this many times, of men born among women, no one greater than John the Baptist. So if Jesus said it, that's the truth. Amen? So the greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, John the Baptist. Jesus said it, so that's who he is. And by the way, I like the fact that John the Baptist was a pretty direct individual. Amen? I like that about him. Okay, now, so John the Baptist, greatest man, then what does John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. Wait a minute. Jesus said he was the greatest guy who ever lived, and he said, oh, my God, be less of me and more of him. You know what he's saying? My flesh must die that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit. More of the Spirit and less of my flesh. And so, too, you and I, if we're going to walk in the, if we're going to defeat the flesh, we've got to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Less of me, and it's not being more disciplined. It's not making better goals and writing things down and really sticking to the... Guys, that's not going to work. When you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail every time. You know what it needs to be? Not discipline, but passion. It needs to be that I'm filled with the Spirit of the living God, and what I'm doing is a get-to, not a have-to. I'm not trying to notch off the marks on the list. I'm just walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and everything I do is a natural outpouring of being filled with Almighty God, the Spirit of Almighty God and walking in intimacy with Him. Amen? Amen? You know what? I love my wife, and so when I'm with my wife, nobody forces me to be with my wife. Nobody forces me to put my arm around her so show her affection. It's a natural outpouring of her being my wife and me being in love with her. And so too, being in love with the Lord and walking with Him, what we do ought to be a natural outpouring of that. Oh, it's Rule 14, i got to keep that. It shouldn't be that. Rule 57, you must kiss your wife. Oh, that's not how it is. 
And it shouldn't be that way with the Lord. I've got to read my Bible. Man, it ought to be. I get to read God's Word. He put it in my hand. He put it in my language. He made it understandable. And He's given it to me. And I get to read it. Now, verse... So He's laying in wait for the Amalekites. The battle's about to begin. But look at verse 6. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart... And get down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now this shows, again, God's grace. Because he removes the Kenites out from the Amalekites. Now how do they avoid destruction? By departing from the ungodly. They came out from the ungodly and they, were, they received God's grace and they were delivered from judgment. Guys, we need to remove ourselves from the ungodly things of this world. Now again, we're in the world, we minister to the world, but we have no fellowship with it. Now the Kenites, Jethro was a Kenite. Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. And so you see the hand of God and the grace of God that here we are all these, hundred, all these hundreds of years later and God is still showing grace and protecting those. He's a God of grace, guys. Remember that. He's, his judgment is always righteous. And here the Kenites are delivered. Then it says this. And Saul attacked, verse 7, the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He also took Agag... King of the Amalekites alive. Is that what he's supposed to do? I'm going to talk about this. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people at the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. They were unwilling to utterly destroy, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Did they obey God or not? God told them, wipe them out completely. Kill everything. Leave nothing. And what did they do? They killed the things that were of no value to them. You know what, Lord? I will give up lima beans for you. I'm, you know, that's just the kind of guy I am. I'm willing to give up lima beans. Brussels sprouts too. You know what, Lord? You can have both of those things. I'm just going to liver. I'm going to give up liver for you, Lord. I'm just, because I love you. I mean, that's what Saul did. You know what? He gave up the things he didn't want. It says in the verse, everything he despised, that he got rid of. But the things he wanted, he held on to, including, including King Agag. He only destroyed the things that were of no value to him. What was Saul's motive? It's interesting that Agag means fiery one, or in Arabic it means to burn. And I find it interesting that as we're going to look at this, I believe, and this is just your pastor's opinion, that Agag is a type or a picture of hidden sin. You know, that chief sin that you want to hold on to. Because Agag was a name for a king among the Amalekites, like Pharaoh was the name of a king in Egypt. So he brought back the quote, Pharaoh of the Amalekites, and he brought it back, and we're going to see he brought this man back, and he's going to parade him through town, and he's going to let everybody know what a great and victorious man he is, that he's got the, you know, the, the king of Amalek all chained up. He brings back all of the, 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 basically the wealth of the Amalekites. And look, he's, I'm increasing my wealth. I'm increasing my power and influence. Aren't you so glad I'm your king? Look at all the things I've done for you. But you know what happens? When God tells us to put our flesh to death, we too can pick out that one favorite or pet thing we want to hang on to. Okay, Lord, I'll give you all of it except this. You know, Lord, this is... I'm saved and going to heaven, but Lord, I want to hold on to this. Lord, I want to hold on to my drugs, my alcohol, the pornography, gambling, whatever. Whatever this thing is that you prize, and you know God has convicted you to get rid of it, or the Word of God has clearly commanded you to lose it. This relationship with this unbeliever. Lord, I'll give you my life, but you know, I'm really in love with her. And we've been living together for five years. And Lord, you know, hey, we're common law married, really. And so I'm just going to stay. Well, Lord would say, get out of that relationship and serve me. But you know what we do? We want to hold on to that one pet sin. 
Let me just hang on to this one thing over here, Lord. You've forgiven me. You know what, guys? Maybe there's some people here tonight that before you leave here, it's time to lay that thing down at the altar of Christ. Say, Lord, I'm done. I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to live a duplicitous life. Pretend to be one thing and live another thing in secret. We need to be men and women of character. Not just following God when everyone's watching, but following when no one is watching. So he's holding on to the king of the flesh. He brings home the, the riches that, you know, of this fleshly nation. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, has not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, Saul disobeyed God, and now the consequences are coming. God told him, gave him a very clear command. He wanted to find a loophole. We're going to find out in a minute. He's going to be confronted with his sin. He's going to have a way of dealing with it, a way that many of us uh, do as well. God knew that Saul would fail, didn't he? But he still grieves anyway. He says, I greatly regret. You know, Samuel was grieved over Saul's sin. And those who truly love the Lord are grieved when others sin. Notice that, that Samuel cries out to the Lord all night long. You know what? The word grieve there means to be hot or furious. And you know what? He was grieved. He was broken. The Lord Almighty God. And now here we see Samuel. When he finds out that someone has sinned. When he finds out this king that the people cried out for. Is going to be removed by Almighty God. He regrets making him king. To hear yet again he's fallen away from the Lord. He doesn't rejoice. Wouldn't it be a fleshly thing to do to go in now. And call the children of Israel together. And go okay there's that king you asked for. How'd that work out for you? Aren't you glad you I told you not to. You should have been listening to old prophet Samuel. But no, you had to do things your way. How's it working out? And you know, sometimes our flesh wants to rise up and remind people. I, I told you so. I told you. You shouldn't have done that. I told you. You know what we ought to be doing? Praying. We ought to be... Look at him. He's crying all night long. His heart is broken that even though he knew they were going to sin, it still breaks his heart when they do. And you know what? That ought to be our heart. The way we ought to handle frustrations when we see people struggling in sin. We need to pray for them, intercede on their behalf, not mock them, not be self-righteous, not act like, oh, you should have listened to me. Let's intercede. Let's pray. Let's seek God. Verse 12. And when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Here's what happened. Saul built a monument unto himself. God delivered, Saul took the credit. God brought victory, Saul took the credit. And he basically threw a parade for himself. What he did was, it says he went down and he went on down to Gilgal. And he's coming through town and he's got Agag on a chain behind him. And here comes behind him all the spoils of the battle. And aren't I a great and awesome king? And look, I got their king chained up. And man, aren't you glad you, you chose me for your king? And look at all the riches we have now. And aren't I great? King Saul is so filled with pride. But as we know from God's word, that pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. He's, again... Building monuments now unto himself. You know, after he won the battle against the Ammonites, he built a monument unto the Lord. And now he's back in the same city building a monument unto himself. This is what happens when we allow our pride to get in the way. When Saul should have been repenting, he was boasting. And when he should have been falling face forward before Almighty God, he instead was lifting up his own head. And wanting others to look at him. And you know what else? When he should have been seeking to be a man of godly character, he sought to have a worldly reputation. His motives are reflected in his actions. Then it says in verse 13, Then Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Liar. You know, isn't it amazing? Saul seeing Samuel coming, Maybe trying to justify his sin. And maybe even believing in his own mind that he had done right. 
Isn't it amazing how we'll convince ourselves that we're doing godly things when the Word of God clearly has told us not to? God gave him a clear command. He did just the opposite. He sees Samuel coming and he says, Oh, blessed are you. I have fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. You saying you fulfilled it doesn't mean that you have. Amen. And sadly, what a, what a tragedy to see this guy so convinced that he's walking in the center of God's will. I don't believe he even believes that. I believe he's just trying to convince Samuel. You know, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And know this, our sin will surely find us out. Because look what it says. Now this proves God has a sense of humor. Look at verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? So he sees Samuel coming. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> Saul, what are the sheep I'm hearing over here then? How come I hear lowing of sheep and oxen? What are you talking? You said you obeyed God's command. What is that about? I mean, I love this. Your sin will surely find you out. Amen. You know, again, just because it's been hidden for a while doesn't mean it'll be hidden always. And Saul lies to try to deceive God. How foolish, since God knows everything even before we confess it. Amen? Amen. And so God brings about the livestock back. Here's a testimony to my victory. And you know what it becomes? A testimony to his sin. I'm bringing back a testimony to my great victory. And all it is, is proof of his sinfulness and disobedience before Almighty God. Saul acts of God is somehow indebted to him. Look what it says here. Verse 15. And Saul said, now watch this. You know, when we sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, accuse others, or repent. Now watch Saul. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we destroyed. So here's what he does. He makes an excuse and accuses others all at once. Here's what he, look what he says. Okay, well, I didn't do it. The people, it was the woman you gave me. No, it was those people. They did it. And by the way, they brought them so we could sacrifice them to you, Lord. I cheated on my taxes, Lord, so I could tithe more. Right? I mean, Lord, we completely disobeyed what you said so we could sacrifice to you. That's what he's saying. Guys, don't try to get over on God. He justifies himself. He condemns others. And you know what? When we judge, it always ought to start in the mirror first. Amen? Look at ourselves first. Saul's true motive was material gain, not religious sacrifice. But even if it had been for sacrifice, good intentions do not justify bad actions. Again, stealing to give to the Lord, not justified. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, shut up. Just be quiet with an exclamation point. You know what? Shut up. I've had enough of you already. You're just lying to your teeth. I, I was just here. Remember, I was the one who told you, kill all the Amalekites. God spoke to me. Through. And now you're trying to tell me that I said something exactly the opposite to you. Shut up. And then he says, and I will tell you what the Lord said last night. And he said to him, this is the first smart thing he said, speak on. You know, God spoke to me last night, and you need to hear what he's going to say. Okay, speak on. You know, Samuel establishes authority as God's messenger. His words seem to be harsh, but they're from the Lord. Guys, when, rather than criticizing when the word from our pastor or somebody we listen to seems harsh, we need to remember that that person is God's messenger. Instead of being mad at the messenger, we need to say, speak on and listen. Amen? Too often we want to get upset. Oh man, how dare you talk to me? If it's the word of God, we need to hear it. And so here comes the word of God, verse 17. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy all the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. And the word consumes means exterminated. When you were little in your own eyes, God did great things to you, through you. You know, again, God anointed Saul in humility. It says in Psalm 147, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Those who are given honor and wealth must remember where we have come from. 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to if you're wealthy, because any wealth you have came from the Lord. Amen? Well, man, I'm a self-made man. Uh, really? I'd like to, how'd you like to be a self-made man on Judgment Day? Not me. I want to be a, a God-made man. Amen? I want to be a God-shaped man. I want to be a God-surrendered man. And sadly, he's saying, you know, when you started out in humility, God used you. And again, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I love how it says in verse 18, Now the Lord sent you on a mission. You know, it's interesting to me, this was a great battle, but in God's eyes, it had already been won. God sent you on a mission. He told you, go down and kill the Amalekites. He's with you. It's not a battle. It's a mission because God is with you. He's gone before you, and it's already been won. So guys, we're not in, you know, we don't go out and fight those battles. God fights them for us. We just follow with Him, amen? The battle belongs to the Lord, not to me. Then verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? You know what? Why did you, Saul, turn God's calling into a profit-making venture? Why did you go out when God had a calling on your life and see it as nothing more than an opportunity for you to magnify your name and increase your wealth? Boy, that's a word for some pastors today. Amen? You went down and the calling God had on your life and all you saw it as was a way of promoting yourself and accumulating wealth. And we can do that with any calling. Christian musicians today, others, we need to be careful. God gets all the glory. Only one celebrity in Christianity, you've heard me say it before, and his name is Jesus Christ. You know what? You work where you work to be an example for him, to glorify and honor his name, not to see how much glory and honor you can bring to your name. Let's point people to Jesus. Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed. I have obeyed the voice. He just told him to shut up last time he said this. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone on a mission with the Lord sent me. And brought back Agag, king of, the Amalek, of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He is he's duplicitous even in his answer. He's a hypocrite. He's saying, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and I brought back the king of the Amalekites. I'm obeying God. I'm walking in the center of his will and I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm obeying the center of God's will and I'm smoking crack every day. I mean, you know what he's saying? He's, what he's saying is... Look, I'm obeying you, Lord, but not really. I mean, and what he's trying to do is take the very thing God commanded him not to do and turning that into a godly thing. You know, people try to sanctify things today. You know what? You can have as many same-sex marriages as you want, and it will never be sanctified by God. You cannot put a pretty ribbon on it and make a new law that condones it and then somehow say it's okay with God. They're bringing Agag back in direct violation with the word of God, and he tries to make it look like he's walking in obedience. You might convince men that you are, but you will never convince God when you are walking contrary to his will. Verse 21, but the people took the, I have utterly destroyed, but the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best of the things which should have, we should have now he finally admits it, which, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Notice twice he said God, and both times he said the Lord your God. Not the Lord my God. They brought it back to sacrifice Samuel to the Lord your God. That's the most honest thing he says in the entire chapter. It's not my Lord, it's your Lord. It's not my God, it's your God. And that's who the sacrificers are for. But yet again, notice how he convinces himself that his sin is not sin. Why, how, why does he, how can he try to do that? By not being a man who spends time heeding the word of God. In dealing with the flesh, sometimes we think we know better than God. Even viewing our flesh as a good thing. I brought back Agag. Here we see again the difference between religion and relationship. Look at verse 22. And he says, So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. If you underline stuff, verses in your Bible, underline that verse. To obey is better than sacrifice. Religiosity, religiosity becomes nothing more than empty rituals if we are not walking in obedience to the Lord. 
God is more glorified and the self more denied by obedience than by sacrifice. You can have all the religious sacrifices in the world and it means nothing if you're not surrendered to God. And he says to obey is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship in the eyes of Almighty God is obedience. If a man has been obedient to begin with, he would not have had a need for the ultimate sacrifice. Remember, the reason there needed to be a sacrifice is because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? It's because of disobedience we need sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice because all the sacrifices in the world, as long as you walk in sinful disobedience, will do you no good, is what he is telling Saul. Now look what he says. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of God, he has also rejected you from being king. Now here's what's interesting. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When we get to 1 Samuel 28, disobedience to the true God, rebellion and stubbornness, are, are, it says here, are as the sins of witchcraft and idol worship. And when we get to 1 Samuel 28, Samuel's not been giving the answer he wants by Samuel or Saul. So he goes and asks a witch for direction. He goes to the witch at Endor. He says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And just to make sure his rebellion wasn't enough, he's going to get involved in witchcraft now. In 1 Samuel 28. And I find it interesting that he's already been forewarned about the sinfulness of it. But when we don't get the answers we want, from the word of God, often we will run to the place where we find the answers that will contone our behavior. Rather than get right with God, we'll run and find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. I'm going to keep going to enough churches so someone finally tells me it's okay to live this lifestyle. And when they do, I'll just settle in there. And that's exactly what's going to happen, sadly, with King Saul as he continues to try to find someone who will give him the answer he wants. Saul was Ruled unfit to rule over men because he was unruly, unwilling to let God rule over him. A man who cannot submit is a man who cannot lead. If we cannot submit to God, he cannot lead in his family. He cannot lead in the church. He cannot lead anywhere. He must be submitted first to the Lord. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Now what made him say that? You're not going to be king anymore. Oh, oh, I've sinned. His motivation is not sincere. You know, you catch your kids... Now, if you're a parent, you know when your kids are repentant and when they're just telling you what they think they need to hear so they don't get a swat, right? So they don't lose their Xbox or whatever it might be. And they're just, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah don't take away my... Don't take my bike away, please. And this is what's happening with King Saul. He's not repentant. And we'll find out as we keep going on. He says, For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord... And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, this part is accurate in one sense. He's saying, you know what? I was more concerned with men than I was with God. And this is why we, we often sin. We're more concerned with men than we are with God. I was telling the teenagers today, the reason most of you get involved with a lot of things you get involved in is you're more worried about being popular with your friends than being obedient to God. But you know what? As we get older, the toys just get more expensive and the trials just get great. You know what I mean? It doesn't change when you're 30 as when you were 15. You still make choices out of your desire to fit in with the world. Saul admits it. Even in repentance, Saul blames others and makes excuses. Look what it says in verse 25. Therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now, this looks sincere. Seems to be asking for forgiveness. There are many today who, when caught in sin, seek peace. But notice who he asks for forgiveness from. Who does he ask? He asks Samuel. He knows that if Samuel's not standing with him, the people won't accept him. So he turns to Samuel and says, Hey, dude, forgive me for my sin that I may work. You know what? The problem in the world today, we turn to men for forgiveness when we can only turn to God. There's no guy in a box that can forgive you. Amen? There's no one you can go to that can grant you absolution. The only place you're going to find forgiveness is from Almighty God. Now, I'm not saying if you sin against your brother, you do need to go ask him for forgiveness for the thing you did to him, but the forgiveness for the sin against God, you must go to God. But he turns to Samuel, and we see yet again his motivation in his heart 
all in the wrong place. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. These are the last words he wanted to hear. And again, you have rejected the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that is the standard. He didn't say you rejected what I told you to do. He said you rejected the word of the Lord. Not the words of Samuel, the word of the Lord. Verse 27. And as Samuel turned away to get away, turned around to get away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is far better than you. Who's he talking about? David. Saul seized Samuel because he feared that if Samuel rejected him, so would the people, again focused on the world, and it's given to the, the kingdom is given to David. Remember, Saul, yoked guy, David, teenager, ruddy, right? Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Saul was a man who God regretted making king, and David was a man after God's own heart. We need to stop looking at the outward appearance and being so impressed with it. Instead, we should be looking at the heart. And it says, and also the strength of Israel. Underline that, strength of Israel, capitalized, should be in your Bible. That's a reference to Almighty God. It's a name for God there. So also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Some of your translations there even use the word repent. God doesn't need to relent or repent. God does not need to change his mind. Amen? God doesn't change his mind. And aren't you glad? I'm really glad. Really glad. Because you know what? He promised me he's given me eternal life. I'm glad he's not changing his mind. Because you know what? There's some things I've done that he might have wanted to. How about you? Amen? Oh, did I promise you? Oh, not so much. You know what I mean? I'm just so glad. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. We don't pray to change God's mind. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. It doesn't conform Him to our will. It conforms us to His will. And so we see here the strength of Israel. He is not a man that he should relent. He's not going to change his mind. You can grab onto all the robes you want. The judgment's been made. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Wait a minute. Should those words be in the same sentence? I have sinned, honor me now. I have sinned, fall broken before God. Amen? But he says, I I have sinned, honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, would turn with me that I may worship the Lord your God. He doesn't want to worship God. What he wants is someone to come back with him and Samuel, the prophet, to stand next to him to look like God's hand is still upon him and he can continue on in his position of authority over Israel. He is not repentant. All he is is bummed that he's losing his position. His repentance is insincere as he seeks to be honored before the people rather than humbled before God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshipped the Lord. He turned away from him. Saul worshipped the Lord. And again, we're going to see that it's insincere. Verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. Now he wasn't done. He turns away from Saul. Now, because of the sinfulness of Saul, Agag was in the camp when he should not have been. The king of the flesh was there. Saul was going to do nothing about it, so it was up to Samuel to do it. Now Samuel at this time is an old man, probably in his 80s. And Agag gets called for. Now Agag just saw all of his people get slaughtered. He's chained up. And now, you know, he's in bondage of some way. And now he calls for him, and it says there, Agag, what does it say? Agag came to him cautiously. He was concerned. I got called for. What are they going to do to me? Now, look what it says. And Agag said, surely the bitterness is now past. You know why? He saw Samuel. Oh, it's an old guy. I thought I'd be a soldier or something. I thought I was going to be King Saul out there. It's just Samuel. Oh, the relief, right? I'm going to be okay. Well, guess what? Even our hidden sins will not escape judgment. Look what it says. But Samuel said, As your sword made women childless, so, you sh- so your mother shall be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Vegematic. He took out a sword 
And he chopped him into small pieces. Now, Agag, a picture of hidden sin. That prime favorite sin we want to hold on to. And notice how that sin is put to death. Using what? A sword. In the Bible, a sword is a picture of what? The Word of God. It's the Word of God in our hearts and in our hands that helps us to overcome those those sins that we want to hold on to, that pet sin, that great struggle, that hidden thing that nobody else knows about. Spend time in God's Word. By the power of His Holy Spirit, He'll bring conviction and direction to help free you from that. Amen? And again, Agag, used to being treated with honor, shows up, and here comes God's judgment. So, way number three of putting the flesh to death, not only prayer, surrender, worship, not only fellowship and accountability, but through the Word of God. Guys, some of us have an agag tonight that needs to be cut into little pieces. Amen? Some of us, if you're struggling with certain things that are in your home, you might need to move it out of your house and maybe have a little demolition of whatever it is that you're struggling with. Last few verses. Verse 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, the prophet of God departs for good from Saul. And though Samuel wouldn't see Saul no more, look what he does. He still mourns over his sin. This is our response to sin, guys. We don't gloat. We're not happy. It should break our hearts. Amen? Amen. Even if we feel like the guy deserves it. Well, don't we all deserve it? What's the answer? Absolutely. His heart was broken. And it says, The Lord regretted making Saul king over Israel. You know, it's a constant prayer of mine. It should be a prayer of all of us. Lord, I pray you would never regret the calling you've placed upon my life. Lord, you've given a calling to me. Lord, never regret it. I want to bring harm to it. Help me to be faithful in it. Whatever it is you've called me to. Now, lastly, let me say this. Saul's eventual death is reported to David in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And guess what tribe the person is from that reports the death of King Saul? An Amalekite. Now, here's the point. If we don't put the flesh to death, the flesh will destroy us. If he had wiped out all the Amalekites, there would have been no Amalekite there. But because he allowed the Malachites to live, because he did not fulfill God's calling upon his life, because he did not remove, you know, for us that hidden sin, it can bring about destruction in our life, in our walk, in our testimony. Amen? If we leave it there, it must be dealt with. We can't just let it sit there. God's desire is that we would remove those sinful things from our lives completely. If we do not put our flesh to death, it will destroy us. Disobedience to God has long-term side effects and consequences. So, in closing, putting the flesh to death, a call to obedience, three ways to defeat the flesh. Again, through prayer, worship, hate, raising up your hands, through fellowship and accountability, and then through the Word of God. I want to close with the words to this song. How many of you have ever heard of Keith Green before? Okay. There's a song that comes out of 1 Samuel 15. And, it, the, and the song is called, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. Let me read you these words and we'll close in prayer. It says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. I hear you say that I'm coming back soon, but you act like I'll never return. Well, you speak of grace and my love so sweet, how you thrive on milk but reject my meat. And I can't help weeping at how it will be if you keep on ignoring my word. Will you pray to prosper and succeed, but your flesh is something I just can't feed. To obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than Sundays and Wednesday nights. Because if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. To obey is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of fire, not your prayers of ice. And I'm coming quickly to give back to you according to what you have done. Lord, help us to walk in obedience, empowered by your Holy Spirit, not to be people of dead religion, but to have a living and intimate relationship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We praise You. We worship. We lift up and magnify Your name. We thank You, Lord, for this Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle. 
But Lord, daily we must die to our flesh. And Lord, we come humbly and broken before you, confessing that we cannot do it without you. Lord, we're powerless against our flesh unless we're filled with your Holy Spirit. So Lord, fill us afresh. Fill us to overflowing. Lord, less of us and more of you. May we decrease that you would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, I lift up anybody here tonight who's got a hidden sin, something they've held on to for days, weeks, months, years, decades, Lord. Father, I pray that even tonight, that by the power of your word and the moving of your Holy Spirit upon their hearts, Lord, do whatever is necessary to put that sin to death in their lives, to remove that temptation, to take those things out of the way, to bring it into the light, Lord, that it might be revealed and it might be, uh, they might be delivered from it. Lord, we've been delivered from sin. We thank you for that. But Lord, those daily struggles, we confess to you openly that we need your help. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.